I've been praying for my brother Bobby Junkin, and I felt led to to record it. So I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to continue to strengthen him, Lord. To continue to help him to be steadfast and seeking you first every day. And God, I'm asking you, Lord, that you show yourself to him. On behalf of his faithfulness to you, God, you are faithful to him. You can't deny yourself, Lord. I'm praying, God, that he's been seeking you. You see him showing up every day, making a sacrifice to get in your word and to do hours of study, Lord. He's, somebody could say that he's neglecting his business. And Lord, we know better. It is impossible to neglect any of the temporal needs in our life when we put you first. This is, this is the essence of Christianity in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Lord, I am asking you to bless my brother. I'm asking you, Father, to move your hand in a financial way somehow, God, to let him know that by putting you first, he has put his finances first. I'm asking you, Lord, either in his business, Lord, let it be that you bring somebody as a client unexpectedly, Lord, that blesses him financially, that he didn't have to go looking for, or God, that it has something to do with Emily's schooling. Uh, there's a huge expense, Lord, and I'm seeing faith in this man who could continue to worry. Lord, I feel like he's trusting you, and he's saying, God's going to work this out. Lord, I'm asking you to work it out. Father, let it be that something good happens to them, Lord, in the way of school, that they get some sort of a discount, or God, that you show that you're with them. Lord, honor his faith. I don't know how you'll do it, Lord, but I'm asking you to honor this brother of mine's faith. I just feel led to ask you to bless him financially, God, so that he can know that he is doing right by putting you first. That, that we will suffer as Christians more because we put you first, God. That there'll be times of uncertainty. There'll be times of what seems like lack. But then in our heart, we'll have plenty. And that you will, when you are ready, provide and cover our needs. God, I'm asking you for this, to show yourself faithful on behalf of this family, God, so that they might praise you and glorify you and know you even more, God. Please do this, Lord. I'm asking you for this in faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, show Bobby Junkin and Karen Junkin and Emily Junkin that you are really with them, that you are with them personally, God, and that you're working on their behalf, and that they can rest in you and put fully their trust in you, Lord, in all things and in all ways. God, show them, Lord. Show them your power and your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to do this for this wonderful family. Amen. I recorded this prayer at about 527 in the morning on January 23rd, 2015. Michael Commentary, what a delight to come across this recording. I've included this, although it's personal, regarding a friend of mine as just another testimony of God's faithfulness Indeed, as time would go on, God was going to do several things. Hopefully, I will have captured that somewhere in these recordings. But I know the story. I know what happened. God heard this prayer, and God blessed my brother, and God did specifically some of the exact things I asked in this prayer. Praise the Lord. I've lost my friend Chris, who about a year and a half worth now, I've been pouring into him and equally enjoyed some fellowship with him, but just really discipled him and spoke strongly the word of Christ to him. He was in my Bible study for a year. We met individually for a year. 
And he, his testimony was that he was so thankful that God brought me into his life. And he cried on camera that he was afraid of the day that I was no longer going to be in his life and how God has used me to change his life. And he got free from his addictions and he began to, as he says, it finally became about learning the word. When I met Mike, it was about learning the word. He said and it had never been about that because he had only been a Catholic and most Catholics don't read their Bibles. And Catholics, most of them are not true followers of Jesus Christ. Most of them are deceived, deceived, deceived. And the devil is completely in control of that church. There is no doubt in my mind. I actually began studying this as I began to watch Chris in the last few months drift away. I began to see him display fruit that was unchristlike. that he was beginning to lose his joy and he was becoming more and more involved in his church and going to more studies and more of this. And it seemed like the more he got involved in the church, the more he began to withdraw from me. Classic classic alienation. And hear these words, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want to do is alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. This is classic of any cult. The Mormons do this. The Jehovah's Witnesses do this. All of these cults, Church of Christ, they and the Catholic Church, they defend themselves against the outside world and they say, we are the only ones who have it. If you leave your apostate, you are guilty of an unforgivable sin. And they constantly spend time teaching how the people on the outside, quote, are wrong. And it's always these, these individual groups. It's never about a person sitting before the Lord himself, reading the word of God for himself, being filled with the Holy Spirit himself, learning from God himself. It's always about you're either part of our group and you're saved and you're in, or if you're outside of our group, you're not. And so anyhow, over a period of a couple of months, I began to watch Chris display this he started to get off the trail i could see that he was going downhill he would be more depressed more despondent we would get together a couple of times and he would say oh i'm so glad we got together you know you really encourage me when we get together because it's about the word and the reason is is because he began to hang around with people that don't talk about anything but football or news and he was doing it on an everyday basis I confronted him on that and said, hey, you've displayed in the Bible study that you're really struggling living a Christian life, and you shouldn't be. There's days that it should be difficult, but not like what you're experiencing now. That means you're in a war, there's a truth battle going on, something's happening, maybe consider changing up your routine. He was deeply offended, said basically I was either completely wrong or I was a liar about my assessment about him. I mean, just went way overboard. So I said, okay, I'm going to let the kite string out. You know, he's being deceived. I'm going to let him ride. And then I just kept praying for him. And one time I sent him a message and he was thankful to hear it. We reconnected. It was a great reconnection. But ever since that point, he's remained distant. And I believe it's because he's gotten so much more involved in his church. He's probably been reading a lot about the things I've been bringing up about what's wrong with the Catholic Church. And I believe he's probably become more into apologetics for the Catholic Church, meaning the defense thereof. And so, as I've ever questioned it, it's become uh, pretty obvious that I'm more of a threat. So, recently, since he's had so much distance, I'd invite him to go to the movies, and he was never interested, or he was always, I'm with the kids, I'm with the, the sister, you know, his daughter, and he never wanted to do anything. And I could tell that he was being separated. 
and so um, isolated, and he was not wanting to be around me anymore. And it had nothing to do with anything I had done. I hadn't done anything. I had re reached out to him, and he said, man, this is great, no hard feelings, this is why I'm so glad, and yes, you were right, Mike, I have a tendency to turn from people and cut them off in my life, and that's been my track record, and so I also was beginning to wonder if he was struggling with pornography again, and he just didn't want to tell me about it, that maybe he'd slip back into old behaviors, I just knew something was not right with Chris, something's eating his lunch, something is causing him to separate and withdraw, so... um. I just started to study more and more on the Catholic Church. I put several hours worth of study watching documentaries, reading things online, and I watched two documentaries that just broke my heart. One was called The Vatican Secrets, and it disclosed all the unbelievable ills and the evils of that church, and I just began to conclude, and it was a secular, uh, you know, of all things, it's not a Christian saying this, this was a secular group that was just saying, look at all the abuse, the scandals of money, look at the billions and billions and billions of dollars that have been spent uh, in sexual lawsuits, the thousands and thousands and thousands of cases of pedophilia, the estimations that up to 70% of Catholic clergy are homosexual. And you know, people cling to this faith as if it's the only one. They have no idea they're clinging to a church of Satan. They don't realize that Satan is in control of this. God is so very clear in his word that you will know a tree by its fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. In order to be a follower of the Catholic Church, you have to completely rip that page out of your Bible, multiple pages incidentally, and throw it in the garbage. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. Does anyone pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Does anyone pick, I mean, he basically just goes on and says, you know, you will know a tree by its fruit. If it has good fruit hanging on it, it's a good fruit. That does not mean that a good fruit, good tree cannot occasionally bear a bad piece of fruit, but the whole tree will be characterized by good fruit. The Catholic leadership, the Catholic Church, the Vatican, the Church of Rome, it is all characterized heavily by scandal, by darkness, by deception, by greed, by power, by hypocrisy, by sexual sin. I mean, it is absolutely laden with sin. And I began to watch that, then I watched another documentary where this man teaches that it is beyond crystal clear that the Catholic Church is what is being described by God, the mystery Babylon, the the whore of Babylon, the lady who rides the three beasts in, um, the lady who rides the beast in uh, Revelation 17 and 18. I watched this documentary and I wanted to throw up. I was so upset and I thought, my God, my friend Chris is trapped. He's been taught that the Catholics are right, they're wrong. He's bought into all of this sacrament garbage. He's bought into all of the lies, all of the deceit. He's bought into the religion, the idea that you're not saved unless you obey. I mean, and again, he might say, well, that's what you teach. It's such a fine line between total truth and absolute heresy, hypocrisy, you are saved right now by faith alone in Christ. When you agree with God that your sin is sin and you know that you need repentance and you know that you're headed to hell without him, you turn from that sin, you put your faith in Christ, God gives you an inheritance of salvation. If your repentance was true, 
You will have a desire to obey the teachings of Jesus Christ. Your desire to obey them does not save you. It keeps you saved and it keeps it authenticates the true inheritance that you have. It is not faith in Christ and obey. And if you obey all the way until you end, then you're saved. If you hold firm in your faith till the end, you save. And certainly not has nothing to do with obeying religious principles and going to church and doing all these things. They have nothing to do with being saved. Nothing. So the Catholic Church preaches a new, a different gospel. They preach a works gospel. You are saved if you obey. Now, I am very true that a person cannot say, I believe in Jesus and not obey and not be saved. I don't believe that. So, But there's a fine line between saved by faith to do good works and saved by faith and good works. I mean, that is absolute, total contradiction of the scripture. So, this morning, I just felt led. I I read these words. What has happened to all of your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? As I read that, I thought that is exactly what has happened with my friend Chris. He used to be so thankful that I was teaching him the word of God. He couldn't come be around me enough. And slowly but surely, Satan began to separate and isolate him as he got more and more involved in his church. I think after I finally stood up against his church and said, you know, I have to be honest with you, Chris, I've discovered some things about the Catholic Church that are completely outside of the teaching of Scripture. The Catholic Church holds to the Bible and to their tradition, and tradition trumps Scripture. That is evil. There's no, well, we should look past that. No, that is evil. That is of the devil. The devil has always tried to pervert the Word of God. What does the Bible say in Revelation? Anyone who adds to the words of the prophecy of this book shall have to them the plagues of this life added to them. And anyone that takes away shall shall have their place taken away from the book of life. I mean, this is clear as day. Clear as day. So I've been just praying for my friend, but it's sad to watch this happen. I just want to add one other point about losing my friend Chris, and that is that I'm mad. I am I am frustrated. I'm not like, you know, super mega upset it's consuming my thoughts or anything, but when I think about this, it does burn inside of me. It, it, it feels like a complete failure. It feels like I have, as Paul says, I have labored in vain, and I finally understand what Paul is saying when he says, you know, please hold firmly to what I have taught you. He says so so that I, I may not feel and be concerned that I have labored in vain amongst you, that he gets a fruit. And he, he talks about that he's in birth pangs, that he's in, he's in labor pains until Christ is fully formed in them. I'm thinking that talks about sanctification, that talks about there's also different levels of people in the faith, People, some are maturing and some are not. And, and the goal is to become mature in Christ. And there are so many babes in Christ. So I think for sure there will be people that are probably saved. They never come to mature. Actually, the seed says they never mature. That gets choked off. And so if a seed doesn't mature, I don't think, I mean, and it doesn't produce fruit. That's it. There's the answer. If a seed does not mature, it doesn't produce fruit. And if a seed that doesn't produce fruit is cut off. A tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut off. But the point I want to make is that it's frustrating to think that you poured 
hundreds of hours into somebody and you've prayed for them and you've read the Bible with them and you've done all these things and you've gotten a ditch with them and then to watch them walk away that Satan just takes them and pulls them away. It's frustrating. I have to trust God at the end of the day and I don't believe that he's completely gone. He may be, but you know, I, I now know more so what Paul laments. Like when I think about the men in the Bible study that I invested so much time with these men, and they just kept walking in deception. And then I look at Bobby Junkin, and Bobby Junkin is maturing like never I thought I would see him mature. He is continuing to go higher and higher. He is amazing in his relationship with the Lord. I am so thankful. He's on his own. He's 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 just he. God is blessing him, man. It's so wonderful to see that. So there is a little bit of good news. And only a few make it. There is no doubt about it. When I think about it, now we're down to, out of that whole group of men, as far as I know, that we're in there. There's two guys that are that are that are making it, that I know of, and the rest have all kind of gone away. I mean, is that not classic? Right in line with the parable of the sower. Oh, I've been praying over the last couple of days. Uh, would the Lord have me? contact Steve again. I, Steve and I sent him the text and he never replied to me. Um, and uh, I, I received an email from or a text from his friend Jennifer saying that he's given to procrastination and fear right now. And I sense that already that, <clears throat> you know, the guy, bless his heart, his thoughts are probably all over the board. And so I, um, I asked the Lord to just allow me to be patient and wait upon him. And uh, this morning, I walked into the kitchen and it was 8:44, and I said, "Man, that's the scripture. That's the scripture. The man, who, the one who lives in your house, will, dwells in your house, will ever be praising you." And um, that's the scripture about me having him come into the house. And then I looked down. It was 8:48. I got into the car a few minutes later. It was 8:48 in the car. That's go in peace. Your faith has delivered you or healed you. And that's an idea of me moving forward on something. That's a way scripture, God uses scripture to help me to move forward. And so I uh, think I'm going to do that. I'm going to reach out to him again. I still have this excitement deep down in my spirit about, you know, there's some fears, you know, a little bit of fear, but I have not thought about it more than, you know, probably 60 seconds. I've had some thoughts of, you know, what if the guy is uh, miserable? What if he's not willing to listen to anything I tell him? What if he's, uh, you know, we get into spats and stuff and he's just, you know, whatever. And I thought, that's not, that's of the devil. And funny because my friend Jennifer felt the same way. She's like, what if they hate each other? What if da 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 And I thought, you know what? I think that's the devil uh, and the flesh lying to prevent and try to stand in the way of God's good work and God's plans. And I read and meditated on Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's the scripture, very close to it. For it is God who works in you to will, meaning to desire to move on something, and to act. There again, the will to do something is not necessarily mean you're going to do it. You have to put action behind it. 2 Corinthians 8.11 Now finish the work which you began so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to its work. So God continuing to teach me all these good principles. But I feel like I'm supposed to, to reach out to Him. 
I'm excited about it. I'm going to reach out and trust God for the results. I just had my weekly meeting with Matt, and at some point we began to talk about his wife's mother, and he began to explain that she's very controlling, manipulative, and selfish in the marriage, and that her father is not the same person by himself as he is around her. And he just began to tell me of all of the, um, you know, basically the rotten fruit that's on her tree. And I began to explain to him that, you know, we need to pray for her. And not just so that she can be a kinder person, but we need to pray for her salvation. I said, because, you know, the Bible is clear that anyone who calls themselves by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ must turn from wickedness. And I could almost see his eyes kind of like, whoa, I could almost see him... Like, he maybe would be one of those who believes that, well, if you just call on the name of Jesus and you believe him that you're saved, maybe you're just not a nice person. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says if we walk according to the flesh, the deeds of the flesh end in death. If we walk according to the Spirit, the Spirit brings us to life. And Jesus taught we will know a tree by its fruit. Not everybody who calls themselves by the name of Jesus is a true follower. And so we can know that how a person is acting, what is, what is their character? Not if I step on your toe and you scream out a, a four-letter word, does that mean you're not a Christian? But if your life is characterized, like regularly, a part of your character is harsh, oppressive, selfish, you're not living like Jesus Christ. You're living either according to the flesh, which means you're not saved, or you're living according to the devil, which means you're not saved. You have been taken captive to do his will. A Christian, in a very essence, the word means Christ-like. So if when I look at your life, you do not look like Christ, and the character of your nature is that you act more like the devil, you and somebody would say, well, he's a Christian, he's just struggling. No such thing. There's a Christian who stumbles, but not a Christian who continues to practice that same sin pattern. It doesn't happen, and I need to, I need to teach this and help people to reconsider you have family members who drive you nuts. You have family members who control you, who say very difficult, hurtful things to you, who maybe um, backstab you, who do all kinds of things. I need to make a list. And you need to ask yourself, do you really believe that that person is saved? The answer is no. And you say, well, Mike, who are you to determine if somebody's saved? I'm nobody. But the spirit of Christ and the word of Christ is the person who makes that judgment. No matter how much you love a person in your family, no matter how much they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they do not live like Jesus, they are not a follower or saved by Jesus. It's, I mean, this is a, a harsh reality that people don't want to hear, but this is the truth. It is 624 on Friday night. I'm headed to my parents to eat soup. All day long, I've been watching these YouTube videos studying for this teaching I'm going to do on money, on Matthew chapter 19, the parable of the rich man. And it is a very, very difficult topic to teach on money. I mean, there is no way, and I'm, I'm obviously very open to teaching the truth. I mean, not very open. I'm very committed to it, and I'm very open about the truth, and I'm not afraid to bring it out into the open. But all day long today... I moved from video to video, and I started watching what all these men, and it basically is, is there's a huge arena on YouTube 
for men to argue over who's right and who's wrong, and they continue to use video to correct each other, and it's it's almost addictive. It seems like people, and these videos are viewed hundreds of thousands of times, and so-and-so will say this, and then there's another person who says, oh, it's a heresy. Then this person will say this, and then another person says, no, that's, it's just unbelievable. All this missile firing back and forth. And, you know, I could have gotten sucked into that so easily. And I feel like God is helping me to mature. There is a need for truth. There's a need for sound doctrine. But I feel like God is calling me to take an alternative approach to confronting this, and that is pointing people back to the fact that I'm not trying to tell you that you're wrong so that I can be right. And I'm not trying to tell you to follow these rules so that you can be legalistically right or righteous. What I'm trying to help people find is the truth is what will connect you to the very best of God's blessings in your heart and put you in harmony to receive His best plan his best presence and his best blessings for your life, which are not always, and quite frankly, very rarely, materialistic. And instead of, in other words, my point is not just to say, well, that's wrong. Here's what the Bible says. But if, if all you're doing, then all you're doing is playing a, a truth and error game. And, and you're like a truth police and you're just shooting down everybody that's... And I'm, I'm so thankful that God is helping me to see this because I could have been a tendency to want to go, nope, that's not in the Bible. I think God is opening my eyes to help me to see the need to not be just another one of those who goes out and shoots everybody because they've said something wrong, but to help people see, listen, if you believe what that guy is saying, but God believes differently, you believe how that guy sees it. But if God doesn't see the Bible the way that man does, and you follow that man, can you expect to receive God's best? And could it be that you're believing something that would prevent you from being a true disciple of Christ, which obviously prevents you from seeing heaven when you die? So, I don't know, it's just, I feel like, oh, the final thought I have is that I felt like when I was watching all these that I'm in a completely different world. My faith is so simple. I'm not saying I'm not loving God with all my mind. But my faith is so simple and practical and childlike and I'm having this wonderful experience with God. And man, I tell you, when I get on YouTube and I start looking at all these videos, it like just, there's this ooey, icky, yucky feeling about it. It's bizarre. And it's because it has nothing to do with obeying the truth and loving God. It's 2.44 on January 24th, 2015. Today I've been working on the prosperity video clips that I've all found on YouTube to contrast that teaching with the teaching of John Piper and David Platt who authored the book Radical and then of course with the insights that I can bring as well from the Word of Christ and from my own personal experience to really try to help people see the need to understand God's truth on all subject matters and I've been over and over Realizing how important it is to teach this point that no matter what subject it is, money, sex, marriage, divorce, prosperity, sanctification, salvation, the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, end times, all these things. 
it is so important that we understand that hundreds of men have hundreds of different opinions on all these different subjects. Okay, so that clearly means that from God's perspective, some people are right, some people are wrong. You can't have it both ways. So, not in everything. In some some instances, people could be partly right in both things, but for the most part, we can conclude there are men, quote, great men of God, that are diametrically opposed to each other on critical issues. And... What I keep feeling and sensing in my spirit is the need to tell people that how you and I think about a certain subject and what our interpretation of God's Word is on that subject is absolutely irrelevant and dangerous if it doesn't line up with God's interpretation and meaning of that. I think that one of the biggest keys to a successful Christian life where you are experiencing God's incredible presence and you are seeing His hand at work in all areas of your life and you see His faithfulness in the times of plenty and the times of lack, probably even more. And you see Him speaking to you and warning you and guiding you in His plan for your life and providing for you and teaching you, illuminating His Word to you. And you see all these things happening. This is a very active Christian life based upon relationship with Christ. And you you understand that in order to achieve that, you have to have your way of thinking lined up with God's way of thinking. If you and I are going to be in relationship, the Bible even says that unless two men are agreed, how can they walk together? So, <clears throat> if you and I are friends, and our our identity is in Christ, meaning we both call ourselves Christians, and you and I greatly disagree on foundational issues, let's say an, an issue of salvation, we cannot walk together very well unless we agree. So an example would be, if you believe, say, in the gifts of the Spirit, and that you believe that the same anointing that the apostles received is available today, so you still believe that the office of apostle is still in effect today, very similar to the way it was in the New Testament, early church, where upon speaking, Peter was able to raise somebody up from being sick and They were able to, at will, perform all these miracles. If you believe that, then you and I differ greatly. I do not believe that the apostolic office or the apostolic anointing is still in play. They had the apostles' disciples. Obviously, the Bible talks about them being the foundation of the church. You build a foundation one time. And what is required to build a foundation is something different than what is required to build the building. The foundation supports the building. It has to be the most important part of the entire structure. And it gives credibility to, and stability, and dignity to, and integrity to, the rest of the building. The foundation is key. So, I see in Scripture, as an example, that there is no longer the office of apostle. And so, that's one way you and I would uh, disagree, and, and to me that is a major, major issue. It's a major issue. You believe things about the Bible that I do not. And so another one might be, 
if you believe in all this experiential stuff where you believe in being slain in the spirit and you believe that Benny Hen can just throw his jacket across an audience and have everybody just be wiped out by the power of the spirit and you believe that people can foretell the future still and God still uses prophets in that way, well then you and I believe something completely different. I no longer believe that. I believe people are speaking out of their own imaginations. I don't believe there's a need to tell the future anymore. God has already told the most important part of the future and it's not, you know, what's going to happen next in your business through a complete stranger. I believe God can speak to you about your future. He can give you a promise. A promise not received today would be a telling of the future. An example for me would be where God has spoken to me and told me in advance who my wife will be one day, Laura. And if if it turns out that Laura does not become my wife, then unless God tells me different, then I have been wrong in hearing him about that. But I believe that that is exactly what God has shown me. I believe that through faith and not just because it's something I wanted to hear, but because he's given me massive amounts of evidence of speaking to me about this. So, these are examples of how we would differ in things. And it would prevent us from being able to walk together. But more importantly, it prevents us from being able to walk intimately with God. That is the main point. Whenever we believe something, we can choose to find evidence that supports what we want to believe. I've been guilty of this. Or we can choose a path of humility that says, Oh God, I hear a man teaching this. Sounds pretty interesting to me. I have reason to believe that he would know what he's talking about. But God, I need to know if this is what you're talking about. Is this what you believe? Is this what you think? Is this your definition of that truth? Because God, I want to be in alignment with you. And so to me, this is a huge issue that God is trying to teach me how to share with other people is, is what you're thinking about that subject. Okay, you feel confident, but is that actually in an alignment with how God thinks about that subject? And if it's not, you can know there's going to be some sort of a disconnect between you and God. There will be some sort of a sense of discontinuity. Something will be out of place, disconnected, the flow will be interrupted, and it is my opinion that the more of God's truth you get yourself and you're thinking in line with, the more of God's presence and power you begin to experience and knowledge of Him in your life. I think this is why Paul prayed, I pray that you may ever be increasing in your knowledge of God. You know, he, he would pray regularly that you would grow and increase in your knowledge of Him grow in your depth of insight and your spirit of wisdom and the revelation of who God is and you would grow in the knowledge of the truth see there it is because growing in the sake of truth for the sake of growing in the truth is pointless if you just have all the facts and you know all the truth and you're just right that's that's a pretty empty reason to know the truth so knowing the truth is a means to an end God's presence and purpose in your life and for us to be able to properly worship God. I mean, I think about how God is being worshipped all over the world right now in these unbelievable ecstatic concert type experiences and He's being worshipped 
for an incorrect image of who he is. He, he, the, 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 pers- the people that are worshipping are worshipping a God who doesn't exist. They're worshipping a skewed God. You know, I think of John 4, 23, I believe it is, and 24, where Jesus says to the woman at the well, I tell you, yet a time is coming and has already come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So, if we are believing a lie inadvertently, even if we're wrong, we must know we're blocking the flow. And that's what I'm trying to do more and more is, God, help me to see your ways, help me to see your truth, help me to line up my life and my thinking and my beliefs with how you actually believe. That's all I wanted to capture. Oh, the final point I was going to make is about Joseph Prince. I saw a message today and looking for some messages about, he was teaching people to walk in the authority that they have. And he was saying, look, don't go to God about your sickness. And I was going, oh, Lord. And he was pretending like he was talking like God. God saying, don't come to me with your problems. And I thought, my goodness, what an absolute heretical teaching. He's teaching, you speak to the canker sore. Canker sore, be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. Headache, be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. And I used to buy into this. I mean, I'll admit, I bought into this, but I didn't understand it like I do now. And so, when you think about what's wrong with that kind of teaching where you're apparently an heir of the throne and you have the same power in the name of Jesus that he did and you speak to these things in your life and you remove these obstacles. The problem with this is is that it teaches you to be independent of God, which is the exact opposite reason of why he came. Uh, Somebody would say, well, no, it's not independent of God. You're doing it in God's power. No, 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 but you've broken from the leash. You're saying... I no longer need to remain dependent upon you and your presence humbly before you as a child, Matthew 18, 3-4. Now I can just run off and do this. You go run the universe, I'll go zap people out in your name and zap problems away. And human nature, any person that knows human nature would know that what I'm saying is true. What that would lead to is a person acting independently of God. Well, see, God created us to depend upon Him. I mean, I think about all the scriptures that teach us to go to Him, not to speak to our problems, but to go to Him. And so, you know, the Bible is very clear, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect us from the evil one, okay? The only part of, you know, defense we're supposed to do is to stand, stand, and the devil will flee, all right? Resist him and he'll flee. So, but everything else is about... You have not because you ask not. Seek, ask, seek, knock. Matthew 7, 7. Matthew 7, 11. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? I think of Luke 18, 1 through 11. And Jesus taught them this parable that they should always pray and never give up. And Jesus says at the very end of the parable, He says, you know, will God's chosen ones not get justice? Will he keep putting them off? He says, I tell you, they will get justice and quickly. He says, he says, but to those who put their hope in God, 
day and night asking for justice. Will they not get it, he says. He's so he's, In other words, he's saying for those who depend upon God. Uh, John 14.1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There are just too many passages that teach the need to depend upon the Father. In fact, I think of the one scripture where the disciples were not able to cast out the demon. Well, why, Lord, were we not? He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. In other words, even though he had given them this high level of authority in his name, there was a higher level that required him, them to still be dependent upon God. Even them, the disciples who could go out at will, and Jesus says, I'm telling you, go out, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, all these things. That does not happen anymore. A man cannot walk at will like those 72 disciples could and just lift people uh, dead and, and heal every sickness, it said. They can't do that because if that person existed today, we would take them through the hospital wards. And they would be lifting people up left and right, just going through the room, pull that one up, pull that one up, pull that one up. Well, there, there's a reason why that doesn't happen anymore. God still does miracles, He still does healing, but He does them at His will, at His discretion, through our humble dependence upon Him. Not, I speak to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't see that. I do not see that. Everything I see Paul teaching is, he says, pray to the Lord. Don't speak in the name of Jesus because that would be to disconnect yourself. He's saying, pray to the Lord. Pray, pray, seek God. You might say, well, wait a second. These are all apostles. What do they need to pray about anything? There again, you can see that that apostolic age was beginning to die off. Paul was sick. Timothy was sick. Demetrius, or whatever that one guy's name is, he almost died. Paul says, but the Lord had mercy upon him. I don't see... That idea of speaking, I see it all about standing and, and resting in the shadow of the Most High God, trusting God, running to Him. You know, when you have these teachers like um, Joseph Prince and you have um, Andrew Womack. And these guys teach that you speak in the name of Jesus. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You know, there's, it's, it's interesting how even though I did that for a time and I fell into that because of the people that were teaching me, I think about it now and it feels so wrong. It feels so wrong for me to do that. I wouldn't do that now. I would not dare. There's, a, there's, a, there's almost a spirit of arrogance that, 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 that I sense in that. Oh, it's just, oh, it just, it just wigs me out. And yet, I have more fruit in my life right now, doing it the way I'm doing now, in more joy, more knowledge of the Scriptures, more presence of the Lord, more faith than I've ever had when I was doing this thing of, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, all that stuff. Now, you know, I just, uh, anyhow, I guess I could kind of go on and on. I've just, I've changed very much in my beliefs about these things and I, I, have, I have so much more peace now it's amazing to me how you can so easily get caught up in a teaching that sounds so good and just enough scripture can be bent 
to provide what seems like enough evidence to validate that teaching, but in fact that's not what validates the teaching. The idea, I mean, I can just hear people right now, if you were to try to teach them to speak in the name of Jesus, call out this, call out that, I used to do that. And it's amazing, I haven't not, I haven't not, I have not forcefully stopped doing that. I mean, could you imagine a George Mueller or a Hudson Taylor walking around saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, you come out of that boy, or in the name of Jesus Christ, you, you get rid of that sickness and blah, 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 blah. No, I don't see that at all. <clears throat> not at all. On the contrary, I see a man dropping on his knees, hands clasped together. Oh God, oh God, we are but poor and needy. But you are rich in grace and mercy. Oh Lord God, would you heal us, Lord? Would you help us? Would you send fast, Father? We believe you for it. We have faith. We ask you in faith to do this good thing, God. And we wait patiently upon you. After all, if you could just speak to stuff, where would the principle of waiting on God go? Have I not learned more about my Father by waiting upon Him than I ever had if I could have just spoken to every situation in the name of Jesus and bug-zapped it into eternity? I mean, people just are so deceived, man. It's am- it's an in- and it's amazing to me because the reason why it's so easy to be deceived is because we're being told what we want. We all have needs, we all have problems, and we all have areas in our life that are we know they're out of order. We know this doesn't work right. This is like two puzzle pieces that don't fit and it's uncomfortable and it doesn't work. And man, if I could just get these two pieces to go together, I'd feel a sense of harmony in my life. And so anybody that comes along that has a particular solution that can help us in our mind, this is going to be the key to putting these two puzzle pieces together. Then we want to buy into it. And even in the beginning, we kind of know, you know, I don't know about that. This is what happens. People let their guard down instinctively. It's like God gives you this conscious radar that goes off that says, this is not the truth. But then there becomes a war for the truth. And there's a war between the little part of you that smells the fact that it's a lie or that it's not quite right or something's just off. And then that part of you that's being whispered to by your flesh and maybe even supported by the the, the kingdom of Satan to say, oh, come on, this is what you've been missing. This is it. This is the key. This is what opens the door to your happiness. That's why this guy has got this big church. That's why all these people are so happy lifting their hands and praising God and running and dancing. Look, they have something you don't have. And it's like the devil creates this mirage. Come on in. Everybody in here has got it figured out. You're missing out. I mean, I have to say that is exactly what began to happen to me When I started going to this church called The Rock, and I met a few people, in particular this one girl named Tanya, who began to try to uh, introduce me to the New Apostolic Revival, I think is what it was called. And, uh, man, I tell you what. I started studying these teachers, uh, Bill Johnson and uh, Chris, uh, shoot, I can't even remember his name, and, you know, several people... uh, from these different churches, Rick Joyner, Morning Star, and uh, International House of Prayer, Mike, something. And at first I was like, man, 
these people have something I don't have. And, oh my goodness, this is such a huge, huge point because I got sucked into it. So I can't say, oh, you've been deceived, I haven't. No, I was being deceived. And I was being sucked into it because I was seeing things with my eyes that I wanted so desperately to believe were true and it was powerful, it was extraordinary, it was supernatural and you had to feel and conclude this must be where God is. God must be at work in these places. These people have found a level of faith that I don't have. And man, I'm telling you, you get sucked into it. And the way I got sucked into it is through my discontentment. I had issues in my divorce. I had issues financially. So you need something to work. It's just the same way that that people get sucked into network marketing. It's the same kind of people that get sucked into network marketing. I mean, I've met them. They're usually lower education. They usually have huge issues in their life. And they are desperate to make some money to get things to work. They are solution searching. And so here I was with these issues. And and I'm thinking to myself. And I said, God, I want whatever you want for me. Lord, if I am missing out, please, God, help me. Well, I ended up getting to the point where I was so bold that I prayed for... I remember hearing this guy, um, Bill Johnson, talk about having a meeting with a guy who had some sort of a nerve disorder. And he just said, I want to pray for you right now. And he just laid hands on the guy and prayed for him. And he, he said the guy was completely healed. I don't remember what kind of nervous disorder or whatever. And I thought, man, you say, I want to be able to do that. I want to see God move and you know, I, I want to, to be able to zap people like that and, and do miracles and then they will quickly believe the gospel. It would make my job so much easier getting people to trust. You know, and people think this is weird and I don't care and I want to go after it. And I started to become convinced that this was all definitely for me and I started pursuing it. I, I prayed for two people, Bobby Junkin and Larry Smith. And my friend Bobby Junkin thought the next day that his... A wrist or arm or elbow or whatever it was, he thought it was healed. I prayed for my children over the telephone, and they—I believe—they both felt uh, Tyler, his his hand, and then um, my son, his leg. He said the pain had all gone away, and so I started going, "Man, this is incredible! This is incredible!" And then what I started to be to, to conclude is that it's very likely. That there was this, um, oh, I forget what it's called. It has to do with when your brain literally thinks you've been healed. Because both with Larry and with Bobby Junkin, they had what was a temporary result. It was temporary. And I thought, my gosh, that's exactly what happened with my ankle. I, I, I had this feeling. It was like electricity on my foot for a few minutes. And then I felt like I could walk. And I was like, this is amazing. And... I now believe that I was healed temporarily in my brain. And again, there's a name for it. Oh, I cannot remember what it is. When your brain so believes you've just been healed, it's kind of like people who lose a limb and their brain won't let go of the idea that that limb isn't, isn't there. So they still feel and can have the ability to feel pain in an area of their body that no longer exists. Now that is incredible. That is actually the reverse of what I have, what I'm trying to describe. Um, and I just cannot think of the name of this process where you believe something so strongly that your brain 
provides a temporary agreement with you and it's almost like the nervous system disconnects from that part of the body or something and no longer reads pain there and you really believe you've been healed and then it comes back and I thought to myself that's no such thing as a temporary healing no such thing as a temporary if God's going to do something he's going to do it he's not going to heal you for a week and say ah I hope you enjoyed that you're not good enough for the full deal so I look back now on that and I think to myself, <clears throat> if that would have continued, if, 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 if that were real and I had the ability to believe people and see miracles like that happen right off the bat, I believe what would have happened is it would have gone to my head and I would have become arrogant and I would have become, it, 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 it sets you up. You have to ask yourself, the root determines the fruit and the fruit is how we know if you're in or out with Jesus. I mean, that's what he said, period, end of story. You will know a tree by its fruit. And I, I can know that if God gave me that kind of power, that it would go to my head. That is why he had to give Paul a thorn in the flesh. Not saying that he couldn't give me a thorn in the flesh, because I believe he already has, just based upon him giving me revelations of understanding of his word and all these things. I believe my ex-wife is very much my thorn in the flesh that will ever keep me humble and dependent upon the Father. But anyhow, my point again is just thinking about this, that this whole idea of if somebody were to ask me to pray for him, I would pray with boldness. I have more faith now than I ever have. As an example, just this morning, I want to make this point. I have more faith now than I ever have in God. Whether it's for a bum knee or Whatever it is, finances, uh, enemy attack, you name it. I have more faith now than I ever have, even when I would lay hands on somebody and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I don't do it apart from God anymore. Well, yesterday morning, I had a very strong impression to pray for a friend of mine that I haven't prayed for in a long time. Todd ran across some paperwork of his the day or two before, reached out to him. How are things still going? Pretty much the same, he said. In other words, not so good. I said, brother, I love you. Stand on my prayers. I'm going to pray for you. So I put in my timer to pray for him every morning at 7 o'clock. I replaced Crystal, who I've seen tremendous improvement in since I started praying for her, with Todd. So every morning now, I'm praying. I started yesterday morning. I was going to reach over and record the prayer. And I said, no, I don't want to interrupt my prayer. Let me just keep praying. I told him today, hey brother, I'm praying for you, man. Stand on my prayers. I felt a real strong passion while I was praying for you. He goes, dude, it's working, man. He says, I was healed yesterday on the airplane. And I thought, man, that's awesome. And I believe that God used my prayers, and I'm sure maybe others, to help do whatever work he's doing in Todd. And uh, again, I have more faith now that God does these kind of things than I ever have. I have very strong faith in God. Very strong faith. But, it is one of humble dependence upon God and patience to wait him, wait for Him to do it. I do not, I could not a bit more say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you come out of there, or you stop doing that, or you heal. I couldn't do that. Because that would be arrogance to me. It would be a complete disconnecting from the head. That's what it seems like to me. Seems like when you do that, you're almost disconnecting from the head of Christ. 
and going off about yourself saying, I got this. So we have to ask ourselves again, what is God's main priority in everything? All of these different doctrines, all these different subjects, healings and power of the Spirit and sanctification, salvation, obedience, baptism, all this stuff. What is, what is the point of it all? Relationship to God. Reconciliation to God. Relationship. Intimate fellowship with God. Intimate fellowship with God. And how is that created? Through dependence. Humble, childlike dependence. Alright, I've talked enough. 30 minutes. Man, you're long-winded, Michael boy.